this episode, we are talking with Ryan Crowdell, the VP of Technology at Valencell, which is an inventor and maker of wearable and hearable biometric sensor technology. Their tech can measure key vitals in the body, such as blood pressure, temperature, heart rate, and more. And these can help us do a better job of understanding, preventing, and mitigating major health issues like cardiovascular disease, respiratory issues, and hypertension. Hypertension alone impacts over a billion people globally. Listen in as we discuss the future of wearables, the impact it can make on the human race, adoption blockers, what the opportunity looks like as we look into the future, and how we are moving from a low-frequency, high-acuity system to a high-frequency, low-acuity system. All this and more. Stay tuned and enjoy. All right, cool. All right, we're here with Ryan Crowdell. Uh, Ryan, welcome to the show. Uh, why don't you give us uh, a little overview of your bio? Sure. Yeah. Uh, great to be here. First of all, uh, good to connect again. Always good to talk to you. Um, I uh, head up marketing for a company called Valencell. We make the the biometric sensor technology that goes into wearable devices of all kinds. And so um, uh, that means we're we're a relatively small company, and means I get involved in a lot of different things that don't necessarily fall into the traditional definition of, of marketing. Um, I get into some partner development and investor relations and, um, you know, research partnerships and a variety of different things, whatever it takes to, to grow the business essentially is, is what I'm working on. But um, as a company, we're, we're kind of sitting in this, in the middle of this um, convergence that's going on between consumer wearables and health and medical devices and enabling both of those categories of companies to um, uh, pro provide biometric sensor uh, enablement and, um, and outputs and uh, all of the useful things you can do with that data in the context of either a consumer or a medical use case. That's great. And, uh, you know, I'm not actually sleeping. Um, my <laughs> Zoom video is being wonky, but... Um, is it frozen on your end? Because it's frozen on my end. Yeah, like I'm just looking at myself frozen, and uh, but I, I'm like on my. I mean, I came to work just for this Wi-Fi, you know. Like, <laughs> like this is supposed to be all good. Um, yeah. So we'll see. But it, I actually just did the speed test, and it's it's like pretty performant. So this might be a Zoom issue. But um, okay. just flag it if you can't hear my audio, because obviously you know this, the audio piece is um, kind of goes to the podcast, and usually we'll do the video. But I'll switch that to speaker view, just so like at least while you're talking, it's easier to do the. And I can see you fine. You're kind of operating okay. Cool. I just don't know what's going on with my, my deal, but camera display. Okay, cool. So um, that's great. And, and Valencell has been getting a lot of press recently uh, for a good showing at, at CES. Um, why don't you give us uh, a little bit of an insight into what you guys are working on now and where you see the future of, uh, well, for me, I, I'm interested in you know, biometric sensing and, and the data that that can collect both actively and passively. But uh, obviously you guys are, are way more advanced and, and you're thinking about the long-term future of that, but tell me what, tell me what, uh, what was the big to do uh, at CES and, and what you, what you, yeah, so at, at CES, uh, it was, uh, it was all virtual, of course. Um, so we didn't get to do a lot of the in-person conversations that we, we normally do, but, um, uh, really, uh, it was, um, a, a reflection of, of what's going on in the marketplace in terms of, this convergence I, I mentioned around consumer and, and health and medical devices. 
and it, just to take a quick step back, we we focus we at Valence Health focus on the this sensor technology that goes into wearable devices that measures your heart rate and your heart rate variability and your respiration rate and uh, a variety of different uh, other biometrics. And um, the latest thing we've done, and this is uh, to your question, Nick, around what was the the topic of interest last week was we, we can now do blood pressure with this same sensor technology that we put into wearable devices of all kinds. And that um, is uh, the latest example of uh, what we're working on, but also kind of the broader context of uh, where this sensor technology is going and where these um, uh, wearable devices are going more broadly is um, one of the things that we're really focused on is um, getting more out of this uh, sensor technology than has ever been possible before. So most people think of this sensor technology and wearable devices in general as um, uh, sort of heart rate monitoring or maybe activity tracking or something along those lines that many of these devices can do in the marketplace today. And uh, that's certainly valuable up to a certain extent, but there's a lot more that those uh, devices and the sensor technology that's embedded in those devices can do. And, and um, at, a, at a high level, it's, it's really getting deeper insights into how an individual's body is responding to whatever they might be doing, whether that's sitting on a couch or running a marathon or managing a disease of some kind, uh, whatever it might be. Um, the sensor technology can now do much more advanced um, uh, insights and analytics around um, that individual's physiological responses to uh, the conditions and the environments that it's in, uh, both acutely in terms of what's going on on a second-by-second -second basis, but also um, now that you've got hundreds of millions of these devices, literally hundreds of millions of these devices in the field now, um, that people wear on a regular basis, if not all day, every day, um, you start to see some really interesting things in terms of the, the longitudinal data patterns that emerge that um, give you insights that have not been um, seen before in, in terms of looking at um, those, those longer patterns and those um, individualized baselines, if you will, that get established with measuring someone continuously over time and then looking at, okay, when, when are there deviations from that baseline and, and what should be done about those deviations, whether that's um, something of concern that, that um, a medical professional should look at or if it's just something that less benign around, let's say, uh, trending lower in a, on your fitness level because you haven't been exercising enough or something along those lines. So. Um, uh, at a high level, that, that's kind of um, a, a lot of what we're working on and, and kind of where we see this, um, this market going and this trend going in terms of, of providing deeper insights and more longitudinal insights on an individual level that, um, that enable people to take more control of their, their health and fitness and, uh, and then also uh, integrate that, that data and those insights into uh, their, either their um, health record in terms of the, like an electronic uh, health record or uh, patient workflow or just um, a general wellness dashboard, depending on what exactly they're looking at. Yep. And so you guys really, you know, dive deep on that, the sensor level. Where is that industry now? Like you said, you just 
were able to launch, you know, blood pressure uh, as a thing that you can monitor on existing, you know, sensors or existing products, you know, is that a big needle? I mean, I guess obviously what we're saying is that's a big needle mover. Has that been a barrier to adoption or, you know, just kind of where are we? Because that sounds cool. And I think everyone, you know, we all have a, someone has a Fitbit or has a smartwatch or has had one. I wear an aura ring for like sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I, I do it and I'm into it when I'm into it, but you know, it, it's doesn't, it's all personal. It's all my own behavior and my own decisions. And so, I don't know, I just, where, where's the industry in terms of, yeah, I mean, mass adoption and really leveraging the technology to its fullest extent. Yeah. It's, um, so from a sensor technology standpoint, there's, there's a lot of exciting advancements going on around, um, providing those, those deeper insights that I mentioned before. Sleep is a good example of, of a really hot topic right now. And in terms of people in general, um, recognizing the, the importance of sleep and the, the impact that bad sleep, uh, particularly, um, uh, chronic bad sleep can have on your health and wellness. And, but that's just one example. And um, what is, what's uh, another element here is also um, uh, integrating this type of sensor technology into uh, a a variety of different devices. You mentioned the Aura Ring is a great example, and I've worn one for several years now. I love it. And, but it's um, one of the things I love about it and other form factors like it is most times I forget I'm wearing it and uh, but yet it's still collecting all of this data about me and and sending all that data to the app where I can interact with that data on my own time and in my own context and at whatever level of depth I want to and so um, I think more broadly from a market perspective there are certainly early adopters and um, kind of the, the category of the, the worried well, if you will, who adopt this technology early on just to get um, more insights, more perspective on, on what's going on with their, their health and fitness. Uh, but as, you, as the sensor technology gets deployed in more devices and uh, particularly devices that um, are passively monitoring and that ideally people forget they're wearing, um, those insights can get fed into a user experience or um, a, a protocol of some kind that that they're able to engage with at their level of interest and um, in, in ways that um, that are meaningful and actionable to them. And that's going to be different for you than it is uh, for me or for anyone else. And so I think you're going to, uh, back to this whole notion of kind of personalized health and personalized medicine, this is one element or one aspect of that where um, you're going to start to see people um, seeing or establishing a, a personal health baseline, if you will, um, part, of, part of which informed by these wearable devices, but there's a bunch of other data that's important here. Certainly um, medical records are important, but environmental data, uh, things like food diaries or glucose monitors or other things that, that provide insights into um, what you're putting into your body, not just what you're doing with your body. And so um, I think you're going to start to see a lot more of this data and, um, and information aggregated in, in a way that can then um, surface insights that might not have been possible before, especially when you start 
applying uh, a variety of different data science and machine learning techniques to this, these large scale data sets, you start to see different things emerge that we might not have otherwise known. Got it. I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask the next question, which is, you know, B to C, I'm just thinking about, you know, what do I know? Well, first of all, I also was thinking about Elon Musk's, you know, Neuralink business, right? So it's a chip mm -hmm. in your head that then as you think something, an action gets taken. Yeah. Um, you know, how close are we, you know, I, the consumer route seems like it's a barrier to something, whether it's mass adoption or mass like processing of the data or mass actionable insight on the data, because like I have to do a lot to like buy the, to first of all, discover this ring, buy it, use it, keep it charged, look at my app, look at what it tells me and then interpret that. And I'm a human and we've got this entire multi-trillion dollar healthcare system yep. that has nothing to do with that. Yeah. Right. So help me connect those dots. Right. Why are it, why is it up to everybody? Or is that one of your problems that you're facing? Like it's up to everybody to like control themselves and do their own health. And so throw away the system, let's just use tech. Yep. Where is that kind of going and how does that sit with you in, in terms of how you're thinking about the future? It is, um, I wouldn't say it's a barrier. It is a, uh, a gap right now between the traditional healthcare system and um, the individuals who are now generating more data about themselves, whether they know it and they want to or not. Uh, even just carrying around a smartphone is collecting uh, some level of data about your uh, health and fitness, even if it's just an indication of how much you move around on a daily basis. Um, so there is a there is a uh, certainly a gap there, and that's that's a gap to be filled uh, from both directions. I think in in terms of on the, from the consumer wearable device and even the consumer medical device side of things, there's a lot more work to be done around providing evidence and clinical research of the the value that these kinds of devices and solutions provide and the efficacy and uh, essentially of how well they work for um, uh, improving individuals' health and fitness, whether that's around a, a specific disease state or more general, general wellness application. So the, there's a lot more um, research and, um, and uh, clinical evidence to be presented there in terms of, of how that how these devices work and how well they work across a broad spectrum of the population um, and uh, one of the if there are any silver linings to this pandemic environment is it has really shined a spotlight on the capabilities of these wearable devices to do things like uh, illness detection and symptom tracking and that kind of thing that has and not just the ability of the devices and the solutions to do that but clinical evidence emerging around uh, the efficacy of, of these solutions. So I think you're going to start to see, and there, there are, there's a lot of research underway already, not just COVID related or even infection related, but more broadly, how these devices can have an impact on, um, on uh, someone's uh, individual state of health. From the other side of things, in terms of the, um, the traditional medical system or healthcare system, there's there's still quite a bit of, of work to be done around how you, once you even have a, a proven consumer medical device that's generating a ton of data, how do you, how do you get that data into a, a, into a form and into a context 
that is meaningful to clinicians on a day-to-day basis in helping treat their patients. And the last thing those clinicians need is just more data. They, they need the insights generated from that data that they can take action around. And so um, there's, there's one element of just getting that data to the right place in the right context uh, and in the right form to, to help uh, provide that medical record, if you will. But then also there's the, the element of surfacing insights from that information that can be valuable in the context of care delivery. Is the is there a question as to the data itself, or just its ability to produce a a diagnosis or a or or an insight? Does that make sense? Um, right. So you kind of were like, you know, are they getting enough? Or you know, there's testing. There's all these like, you know, there's trials being going on. But like, we know sensors can detect like certain things because it's been out there and it's been proven for a long, long time. Is it about the questioning of the efficacy of an actual sensing capability or of what that might tell us. And so the trial is, does an elevated temperature and plus this condition and plus this equal illness that needs action? Where is it on the spectrum of what we're actually testing? Yeah, I think it's both really in um, the these um, wearable devices now can um, can generate clinical grade data in the context of already proven uh, medical use cases. And um, I'll give you an example of the, 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 a lot of people talk about the Apple watch as a, as a good example of uh, they put an ECG um, uh, sensor in the last couple of versions of the Apple watch. And um, that has, um, that has very well-known and proven clinical characteristics of if you see certain things in an ECG, um, then uh, that means X, Y, and Z to a clinician. Um, and that's an FDA cleared um, uh, device uh, and, and capability there within the, the Apple Watch. And now Fitbit has, uh, Samsung has it, a variety of other um, wearable device makers have it as well. But the interesting thing is, in in addition to that, the Apple is is um, conditioning consumers to on that use case. Let's take uh, AFib as as this example of atrial fibrillation that can be seen with um, uh, arrhythmias or irregular heart patterns. They're using a, a the continuous uh, PPG sensor, the green blinking lights on the back of the, the Apple Watch and other devices, to do continuous monitoring, looking for uh, looking for irregular heart rate patterns, and then prompting someone, if it sees something of concern, prompting someone to take an ECG. I think that user experience of something that is continually monitoring the individual to look for uh, signs of concern, to then prompt the individual to take a, um, a, a more granular reading or use a, a more traditional medical device to see what's going on, whether that's in, in your doctor's office or with a home health device or whatever it might be. And I think you're, you'll start to see this playing out with other conditions, other use cases as well. I mentioned blood pressure earlier. That's a great example of where we can now, in a context of a wearable device, whether it's like the AirPods you're wearing or in a watch or a finger clip, we can continually monitor uh, blood pressure and prompt someone to take a more granular reading, whether that's with a, a blood pressure cuff in their doctor's office or if they have one at home, 
to see if um, uh, there's a, a real problem that they need to address immediately. And so that's that kind of um, user experience and, and use case, I think you're gonna start to see playing out more and more in, in different contexts around this. Yep. Um, just for context, I mean, what are, what's, you don't have to give me an exhaustive list, but what are conditions and readings? I mean, what's possible, you know, for like average person and first of all, not even the average person, but if the, there might be doctors listening to this who are like, wait, you can actually collect that um, in kind of a seamless way, but what's give us a, a quick or whatever comes to mind rundown of what's possible with sensing technology by valence seller or in the market in general. Yeah. So it. um, uh, I, my, my purview is, is sort of, uh, biased towards the, the, um, PPG sensors and bi and, uh, biometric monitoring focused around blood flow characteristics, which is what these sensors do. Uh, those green blinking lights on the back of a smartwatch are shining light into your body and measuring how much of that light is uh, reflected back based on blood flow, at least at a very high level. Um, and so, that lends itself to um, conditions around things like cardiovascular disease. And there's a variety of different conditions underneath uh, that umbrella of, of cardiovascular disease that, that these types of sensors can provide insights on. Uh, respiratory conditions, so things like asthma and COPD in particular, um, hypertension, uh, and obviously blood pressure, high blood pressure being a a massive global problem. A lot of people, everybody knows high blood pressure is bad, but a lot of people don't realize uh, over a billion people around the world have high blood pressure. And that comes with all kinds of different uh, comorbidities and can accelerate issues in not just cardiovascularly, but neurologically and, um, and uh, as it relates to your metabolic condition as well. Um, and so then, um, so the respiratory state and, um, and then also hypertension is a big one. And then also, I, I think a big area of interest is, um, and you're starting to see some new and different, um, uh, not just sensor technology, but new and different uses of, of existing sensor technology around metabolic conditions and metabolic health in um, things like uh, glucose monitoring, uh, as an example, not just around diabetes, but more broadly in, in terms of uh, metabolic health, even for someone who's not diabetic to understand uh, how what they're eating impacts their, their glucose response and therefore their insulin response, which um, it can be a precursor to a variety of different health conditions. And so uh, in all of these areas where you're seeing this uh, sensor technology being applied is trying to identify these uh, health conditions uh, early enough where people can take evasive action of some kind to be able to get off of that path towards hypertension or diabetes or whatever it might be. Yep. What about in the ongoing management? So say someone has hypertension, they're aware of it, now they want to you know, use you know, wearables or they get prescribed wearables to, to measure it. Is it is that an effective use of the technology? I mean, obviously it can give it to you, but is that going to help you track or catch or are these things such a long-term rehabilitation process that, you know, just the one-off checks back to your primary care doc is sufficient? Or what about that, you know, once you know you do have something and you're, you're doing taking steps to mitigate? 
out of sensors. Absolutely. Play. Yeah, it, it's um, it, it's interesting because we actually just did a um, consumer survey at the end of last year, end of 2020, um, specifically around hypertension. And it uh, pulled about 750 people with hypertension, diagnosed hypertension, and asked them um, how often they, they among other things, asked them how often they, they measure their blood pressure and would they measure their blood pressure more if it could be done passively without a blood pressure cuff. And um, the interesting thing is um, about 60% of the, a little over 60% of those people, again, these are diagnosed people, uh, people diagnosed with hypertension, um, only measure their blood pressure a few times a month or less, in some cases, a few times a year. Um, and then alternatively, about 75% of those people said they would measure more often or much more often if they had the ability to measure uh, their blood pressure passively. And so that's just one, um, one example of this, uh, the opportunity and the, the gap that exists right now with existing uh, medical devices and e even home health devices that uh, where the technology really hasn't evolved very, uh, very far in decades, if not longer. I mean, the, the blood pressure cuff itself has been around for 100 years plus. And so um, it's, it, you're now starting to see technologies like this that can be can measure things passively, starting to fill those gaps between uh, even people who know that they should be measuring their blood pressure at least daily, if not more, um, starting to fill that gap between what they actually do and, and what's possible going forward. And that's just with, with regard to blood pressure. You, you think you, you, you can see the application of this technology in, a, in other spaces as well, being able to, to kind of close those gaps around, um, around the point in time measurements, like you were saying earlier in terms of whenever you happen to go to your doctor or healthcare provider, versus being able to, to see this longitudinally with daily, if not hourly measurements of, of these kinds of, of signals. And so who, you know, uh, that's great. That was, that was actually great information that that survey yielded. Um, and we've talked about customer experience, UX and CX for wearables, like the easier it is, the easier people will adopt. And I think you know, maybe we're ahead of the curve, but I feel like that's occurring, right? I mean, I've got this great ring, I've got these, these products out there, but in, and anytime you can do a replace, sell a replacement product, right? And, and, and we'll continue to see more innovation. What's the CX? I still come back to the adoption on the healthcare side, right? So if someone says I have hypertension and then like, I just go buy my own wear, I find my own wearable, I buy my own wearable, I monitor it myself, I'm not really getting benefit out of the system. How do we, how are you thinking about customer experience, user experience, or value add to the actual practitioners who are in charge of managing the care of their of their patients. I mean, everyone should have accountability for themselves, of course, um, but we're investing into a system, we're investing into healthcare, and we're investing into, you know, Medicare, you know, Medicaid, like, how do we get adoption there? I already, I already said that, but I feel like that's where I keep coming back to. Like, man, if people are doing it themselves, but also we have these other, you know, the people that are in the business, um, quarterbacking it more, um, it'll, more data can't hurt. You don't have to do shit with the data. You can just like yeah. see it, right? It doesn't hurt, but, and it's available. The technology, the future's here, uh, but will we embrace it? You know, sort of, I think that's going to be the title by the way, but that's what yeah. I'm hearing. So how do we get a kind of a user experience or a value add to the, to the folks that are going to be on the front lines consuming this and making 
you know, pro, proactive recommendations or making kind of the, the human layer on top of the data, AKA the, the physician or the physician assistant or the healthcare professional. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, there's a few things there that that jump to mind, um, and, and there's a this is obviously a really complex problem, right? Of of getting um, getting this information to the right place in the right time in the right context where it's valuable. Um, but the first thing that jumps to mind is there's a trust factor here that um, there the, there needs to be um, uh, more. Uh, more work done on the w from the wearable side of things to prove out the efficacy, like I mentioned before, uh, because you put this information in front of a clinician, and if they use that information for a diagnosis or a medical decision, then they are liable for that for the results of that decision, and they're hesitant to do to use uh, data in the context of uh, patient treatment that they don't absolutely trust. So there's a, there's a, a trust gap there that, that's got to get filled both with, from the wearable side of things, but also, frankly, on the clinician side of things. And, and I come from a family of clinicians, so I can, um, I can, I speak from personal experience in that uh, there's um, hesitancy to adopt new technologies that aren't fully vetted and well-established in the marketplace. So there's there's some um, there's some work to do there on that front as well in terms of accepting new technologies and new ways of doing things to uh, to be able to provide um, uh, better care for uh, their patients. Yep. And so um, th so there's there's opportunities there on both sides. Um, and, and I don't want to don't want to underestimate the import or, or um, uh, undervalue or understate the importance of the the data flows and how this fits into the patient workflow because uh, most of these clinicians are uh, overworked and have very minimal time to spend with a patient and, and on on patient data to begin with and so the we've got to make it as easy as possible and as seamless as possible for to surface that data and surface those insights from these connected health devices and um, and and get that into the patient workflow in a way that's valuable for the clinician, in addition to uh, valuable for the patient. Yep, um, that's great. I feel like the you know the defensibility against AI is that you know our brains are these massive advanced AI machines. You know, so like I I feel like sometimes we're like oh man the machines can do it way better. Like our brain processes a ton of stuff very fast. It's a really fast computer, and so I do appreciate the you know kind of the last mile processing by an by an expert by a human expert. And this isn't something that should just you know one error bug in the system and someone's doing something wrong and totally wrecks their health. So. But, you know, it's also funny because I think about kind of the, in, not it's not the inverse of that, but I think of Instagram and when it came out, there was already Twitter, uh, there's already Facebook and they, all, they had native mobile apps and you could post pictures on it and Twitter, or sorry, Instagram. And there's the, I can't remember, the, like it was an article, but it was really looking into like, man, they created so much value because it was picture first yeah. and you could do filters. You know, it's like, wow, I'm leading with pictures and it's at a more of an emotional connection and I'm gonna like not, I'm gonna sound, well, whatever, but like, so basically, great, you enter, you uh, like iterated and innovative on like a picture sharing interface. 
in some context, if you zoom way out, that's a very small step for mankind, right? So it's like, oh shit, my picture sharing app is easier for me to see that vibe right away. I don't have to like scroll on the tweet. I can't remember how Twitter was exactly. It was like, I don't have to hit the tweet and then like kind of push it up and see the, the tweet blocking the picture. And like, I think their upload interface was better. And like, they were talking about how like, look, but when you've got billions of people using a social media app frequently, when you can make a small improvement, then like you get mass adoption and that created billions and billions of dollars of market cap value, well, not market cap, but they got acquired, but you know, of, yeah. of value in the company. And it's like a huge story. It's part of big tech. I started by Facebook, but whatever. And we did all that. Like, and, and, oh, and man, that's like, you know, you move that, like that wireframe took this text out and put this picture a little bigger and you added overlay. So I'm yeah. saying all that to say, Think of all the like hanging up the hangups right maybe can we get on the same page about how we can do less right so now this data is just like there's flags right if certain little rules happen someone then intervenes you know and like are there and i'm sure people are thinking about this but kind of i'm getting at the what's the opportunity the opportunity seems like can we make it so that the, this is not diagnosing stuff this isn't replacing a doctor this is complementing and, and this is assisting and no data is bad data, you know? So like, how do we just do maybe a much lower level, maybe a much more simple thing? You've got all these advanced systems and advanced sensors. You're detecting blood pressure, detect, you know, like, I mean, uh, CBD and hypertension, yeah, are like, I don't even know what's the third biggest killer. I think those are like the two top two by, you know, eight miles. So it's yeah. like, great, I can assist with this. And then we're sort of arguing over like, how technically efficient and, and like how micro are the sensors, the form factor, when can we just step back and be like, this is all, this is nothing but good stuff. How do we have a, maybe a minor, you know, and, or we, it's the blood cuff, right? So I'm not going to walk around wearing a, a cuff, you mm -hmm. know, so can I just do something and, and make it incrementally better than what's out there now? I, what are your thoughts on kind of that idea of you've got like exponential technology enhancements to what exists now, but we're arguing about it. Should we back up and try to think about an incremental enhancement that might be just easier and, and mass adopted or yeah, surely thought about that, but weigh in. Yeah. And I, um, I can't remember who said it, but I, uh, so I, I, I can't take credit for it, but I can't um, uh, give them credit either, but it's it, this notion of we, we are moving from in, in terms of, Healthcare delivery broadly, we're moving from this uh, this perspective of of low frequency, high acuity to high frequency, lower acuity. So uh, low 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 frequency, high acuity is you go to your doctor once every you know once a year, maybe twice a year, and um, and you, there's the highest quality medical equipment in the, in your doctor's office to be able to see at that point in time, exactly what's going on in your body. But that is very low frequency and it is just a snapshot in time. Moving that towards becoming much higher frequency. Yes, it may not be as high acuity as a, let's say an MRI scan in your, in your doctor's office, but can still provide some some valuable insights. Again, looking at that longitudinal perspective of what's going on uh, within your body, and then and then providing a, a shortcut to looking at where where the clinicians need to focus in terms of spending their uh, their precious time on on uh, what's going to have the biggest impact for that patient. And so, um, to that notion of uh, of making small changes that have a huge impact 
Um, just that that notion of accepting data that comes from outside of a medical facility that but that gives those clinicians a, a longitudinal view of that patient that that may not be as high acuity as let's say an ECG reading from a from a 12 lead ECG that um, that hospitals use, but still can can provide some valuable insights there. And the 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 point uh, made earlier about how we how we surface those insights in the context of the the patient workflow is critical, it, it, particularly with the ubiquity of of um, EMR electronic medical records. Now, most of those uh, most clinicians will tell you that those are set up for to optimize billing, not necessarily optimize patient care and patient and, and care delivery. And so, but you are starting to see some changes there, incremental changes, but see some changes in um, how that how that data is accessed on a, on a per patient or, or a, on a clinician basis, on a per visit basis, and um, bringing in additional data from the outside, if you will, in giving that more holistic perspective of what's going on with that patient. I give you one example, just we talked about CES earlier. Last week at, at CES, Omron, the, the big blood pressure cuff company, yep. announced um, a, a, um, an integration platform that integrates their remote um, blood pressure cuff readings directly into, um, into the electronic health record systems. And so that, uh, that's just one example of what seems like a, a relatively small step on the surface, but just getting that, uh, that blood pressure cuff data into those electronic health records uh, is a, a big step forward. And I think a good example of one of those, one of the, one of the incremental changes that's, that's starting to happen in terms of getting that, uh, getting that more holistic view of a patient uh, over the long term, not just at each clinic visit. Yep. And so what do you think, how are you looking at kind of the future um, starting, I mean, you could discuss the industry or balance cell, depending on you know, what, what you want to share or not share, but what, what do you see as the future opportunity um, for you? And then separately, I'll ask you about the future, the opportunity for, you know, entrepreneurs that are into healthcare, IOT, wearables, hearables, mm. but starting with kind of how you guys see the future, where are you, where are you seeing this going? Where are you trying to go? You know, where's the puck going to and, and that you're skating towards or whatever. I think I mixed yeah. up that metaphor, but yeah, you skate to where the puck's going, not to where yeah, it is, right? So where's the puck going? <laughs> yeah. So um, in this, uh, I mentioned earlier in this broad kind of uh, macro level trend of moving from this reactive episodic sick care model and moving more to a proactive continuous monitoring model. Um, within that though, I think you're starting to see uh, the early signs of um, what's being referred to as virtual primary care. So care delivery moving outside the four walls of the hospitals and healthcare facilities. And this is not specific to wearables, although wearables is a, uh, is a part of it. Um, but uh, it, the, the Teladoc and Lavongo merger last year got a, a lot of attention and for good reason. And, and that's, you, you look at where they are going in terms of, of, moving this market to, um, to becoming that virtual primary care provider where an individual or a patient um, primarily, the, the first um, interaction point is virtual. 
whether that's a, a telemedicine call or through a wearable device or through a mobile app or some other, um, some other technology-driven uh, interface. And then from there, the, the care delivery protocol begins and, and they may eventually end up within a healthcare facility to, to treat a particular um, uh, instance or, or um, disease. But that's the, it, it's completely flipped the, um, the model of the starting point is no longer you go to your doctor's office to figure out what's going on. It's, it's more of you, you've got this continuous monitoring going on and there are early indications of signs that you need to interact with healthcare delivery in, in some form or fashion. And that first interaction is virtual. Um, so that's, that's one piece of it. Um, the, the other thing that I think is, is um, worth calling out here, and this is, there's a lot of overlap here depending on which area of, of healthcare you, you look at, but um, there's, there's a couple things. One is, is digital therapeutics and um, applying technology in a way that um, does not require necessarily either um, a personal intervention or uh, pharmaceuticals or um, uh, the traditional healthcare delivery. And so you're starting to see these digital therapeutics um, emerge uh, quite rapidly and, and gaining um, not just uh, market adoption, but regulatory adoption and regulatory clearance as well. Um, a variety of different uh, digital therapeutics now are, are FDA cleared and uh, cleared in Europe as well. Um, so that that's an area that um, that I think you're you're going to see uh, enormous growth around. And in the context of that, uh, and in some cases tangentially, but um, we see a, a convergence also going on of these. Um, what I'll refer to as consumer medical devices. So um, I mentioned that Apple Watch as one example of that, where the ECG technology or capability within that device is FDA cleared. Um, and there's a variety of other examples like that, but I think you're going to start to see more and more of these consumer devices that do not require a prescription, but are regulatory cleared in some way where consumers can go directly to uh, the providers of these solutions, whether it's a digital therapeutic or a consumer medical device, or more broadly, one of these virtual primary care providers, and, and access that technology, acquire that technology themselves, use it either um, entirely on their own or in the context of care delivery within a, uh, a digital therapeutic solution or uh, virtual primary care solution uh, more broadly. And so, um, that I know those are uh, those, those are certainly areas that we're um, we're watching very closely and actively involved with, and um, I, I think there's uh, you're going to start to see a lot of uh, a lot of really exciting developments in uh, in all of those areas and and some of those areas overlapping. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's an opportunity for an explosion of innovation. And I don't even know if it's real innovation. I feel like all of the technology and the thinkers and the thinking is maybe even there. Yeah. But, you know, you, yeah, you all of a sudden you, you bolt on this front end that's virtual. So you flip the model. Everyone's into convenience, time saving. We have enough easy, super easy ass ways to just collect more data. So it's just like yeah. wearing my watch or my ring 
can't be worse than I'm filling out a form on a piece of paper. Like I might have smudged that form, right? So it's like again, it's low, you know, low fidelity right. or whatever. But yeah, otherwise, yeah. I'm just smudging on this piece of paper. Now they have a tablet. Yeah, I still have to check it and hit next, next, next. Right. Right. So like now we're going to be doing that a lot more. Maybe we have little brains. I mean, we have to have like nodes and brains to process. So it's not just giving me stuff and then someone's like, your doctor's like, I'm staring at this chart like they've now become a day trader or something, right? But like things are happening automated. So now everyone is leveled up. There's more information coming into the system. So by the time you come in, I mean, even that alone, right, just sort of takes everything to the next level of, you know, efficiency, takes costs out of the system, improves outcomes. It catches things earlier. It keeps you, knows if you're on track, off track. These are rules-based systems that don't even, I mean, that does not, I'm not a like algorithm scientist, mm -hmm. but it, it's easy. It could be, right. I mean, it's going to be, yeah. I'm, I'm dumbing it down a little bit, but I mean, it's like, this is huge. And then, you know, you're layering on digital therapeutics. So it's just like, you know, now we're able to deliver things and deliver certain types of, of treatments and things digitally. So the cost of goods sold is down, even the friction of buying and, and consuming. And then lastly, like you said, like kind of the consumer medical device, right? So more people are able to integrate, you know, device type capabilities into everyday things because uh, a it matters and or b they want the other features and now it's just a bolt-on yeah. you know i'm just thinking like oh it's got an ekg i mean gosh at some point like are you is it someone like needs a shock and it zaps you you know like oh like oh shit like i, I you know you're like yeah. i remember the first a classes you're like always look around to see where the nearest you know zapping machine is you're like that exists and it kind of does like in airports there is like a zapping machine oh, yeah right yeah. so you have to get, get the paddles out but like man maybe your watch could just paddle you like just turn it over yeah. bam anyway but so you know it, it's well, gonna that provides more kind of things and, and sensors in the marketplace and then maybe yeah maybe more i don't know if they'll actually have mitigation techniques built into the devices or just the the readings but still a more of a proliferation of, yeah. of uh, data like uh, ports to, to gather inputs well and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up because it's it's a really interesting element of what's going on here is the 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 technology exists and has existed for quite a while and we're in this phase now of the, the big challenges and the, and the big opportunities are in putting all the right pieces together to, to go solve big problems. Uh, just a, as an example, the, uh, the ability of wearable devices to, to um, detect atrial fibrillation and arrhythmia, like we talked about before, that capability has been around for at least 10 years. In, in wearable devices, uh, it, monitoring something known as heart rate variability that's how they're doing it. And, um, but that, that capability has been around for a long time. What is, what is different now is a few things. One is um, the, the, the sensor technology has certainly evolved to, um, to uh, get much, much closer to true clinical grade accuracy in these wearable devices. That's one. Two is the ubiquity of these devices. You look at most of the market research numbers say that there's, been, there's probably somewhere around 500 million of these wearable devices in the field globally today. And that's growing by 100, 120 million devices a year. So um, the ubiquity of these devices and then the, the, the amount of data that those devices are outputting on a second by second basis in some cases is, is just enormous. But then the, the last element of it is layering on uh, machine learning techniques and capabilities that has never been done before in the context of 
this biometric sensor data, certainly at that scale. And so the, the combination of all of those things is um, coming together in a, in a really powerful way. And, um, and so that's, it's just, it's exciting times to, to see a lot of this start to come together in a way that um, it, we're not talking brand new science here. We're not splitting the atom. It's putting the right pieces together in, in a way that, uh, that, that solves some of these massive problems that we're dealing with. If you were, you know, an entrepreneur, like right now, knowing what, you know, where would you see the opportunity in this space? Yeah. So, um, so one of the things that, uh, that I, I, I think about a lot and, um, if I was going to go start another company right now, it would be in this space of pulling together um, uh, all of this uh, patient-generated data, for, for lack of a better term, whether it's from wearables or home health devices or uh, environmental sensors and uh, food diaries and pulling all of that information together uh, it, into, um, uh, first and foremost, a dashboard. But more importantly, the data that goes behind that and start layering in some of these um, machine learning techniques into in identifying different patterns to, to surface things that, that we haven't been able to, to see before in the context of a, a digital therapeutic of some kind. Uh, and, and that's, um, I think what, what, you're, what you're starting, you're gonna see a lot more of, and you, there are a few examples of it here and there, but, um, what the the data collection and insight generation is really just beginning in terms of getting all a lot of that data today is siloed in different spaces like somewhat like you mentioned someone may be wearing a fitbit or using a garmin device or someone may be using a continuous glucose monitor or um, but they haven't necessarily integrated all of that data in a meaningful way um, I think there's a huge opportunity there to then uh, get that data to the right place in the right context and surface those meaningful insights. And so that's um, that's something I, I think about a lot in terms of where where the immediate opportunity is. Again, with with existing technology, there's not any new science that needs to be created around that. So there's um, yeah. there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. And we just, and I, I mean, we just need to make sure the, the recipient is ready to receive, you know, yeah. that data, right. And, yeah. and do something with it. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like getting stuff and giving it to somebody isn't the issue. It's, are they going to take it and see value in it and act on that yeah. value? Yeah. And I think that it's an excellent point around um, different people want to see that data or interact that with that data in different ways. Some people, not at all. They, they just want that to, they only want to be notified if there's a problem. They never want to see the data otherwise. And there are other people like me who want to see that data every single day and see what's going on and, and everything in between. So um, there's um, that I, is, I think an important element of this as well is not just collecting that data and surfacing insights, but presenting those insights in a way that that's meaningful for individuals who are uh, highly variable in terms of how they want to interact with that data and use those insights. Yep. 
Cool. Well, I think that's a good kind of like wrap up of the formal area. You know, I want to hear a little bit more that you, you started to tease this before I think we started, but CES, that was, you know, fully remote. It was a good experience. Okay. Experience, bad experience. How was it doing a major, major show fully remote? Um, well, it's funny, it, it, just coming off the last question of, uh, of entrepreneurial opportunities, there is a massive opportunity to do to, for a, a really seamless uh, virtual conference platform, because I have not seen, I have not seen a good one out there. And, and now having participated as, as an attendee and a sponsor of, gosh, probably five now virtual conferences and one big one being CES. And frankly, all the platforms are pretty terrible. And, and so um, it, it's just, it's really hard to facilitate meaningful interactions with people in a conference when those people don't necessarily know what they're looking for. And so it's, it, the, the, the discovery element is, is, I see as the big challenge. You can, of course, facilitate calls like this or interactions like this with Zoom or other video conferencing platform, but but how do you, uh, it doesn't seem like anyone's really solved the discovery thing. Like yeah. in big conferences, one of the big values is just walking around the show floor and seeing things that you would not have otherwise seen. Yeah. And in, in many cases, or, or run into people you don't otherwise run into. And so um, those, those things are uh, obviously really hard to do in a virtual environment, but uh, there's, there's still much better ways to do it than most of the platforms I've seen. Yeah. Well, it's like networking events. I mean, you're yeah. going, there's sort of an ulterior motive, like, Oh, there's going to be free food drinks or snacks or a cluster of people. So I can go see a lot of people at one time. Same with the conference. Like I want to learn something, but you could have learned that on the internet. You could have learned that in 30 minutes in your house, but you want to get on a plane, you want to go someplace, you want to see industry people, you want to kind of rub elbows. And since you're there, you can start to, you can discover new things. And those people pay to be discoverable because they know others are coming for the, you know, the the professional kind of growth and networking. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, posturing is not the right word, but sort of like, oh, I'm going to be at that, you know? So anyways, yeah. that's interesting. So yeah, another new opportunity. I, I will say on the discovery side, it is, I have found some of the platforms do a, a pretty good job of, at least as a, as a conference um, sponsor or an exhibitor, they will, um, they will show you everyone who is logged into the platform at any given time. So instead of um, say having to run into someone physically at a, as a, at an in-person conference, you can actually see, who all is there and who you might want to interact with. And you can reach out to them. And of course it's an opt-in type thing, but there's uh, there is good discoverability I've seen at an individual level, but at a, at a company level, it's, it's a lot harder and there's a lot more opportunity there. Yep. What about at the company? I mean, how's that been going? Is everyone remote? Are you guys going into Raleigh to work or how's. Yeah. So we are, um, we're, it's sort of a hybrid model right now of since, well, I guess even going back to um, last March, we, we've always fallen under the um, essential business um, definition just because of the med device testing we do. And so technically our office has been open the whole time, but um, from March till about August, September timeframe last year, it was really 
only a handful of people going in, only the people that absolutely had to touch the hardware and either ship something out or do some physical manipulation of, of hardware that they could, they didn't have, they don't have the equipment at home. Um, since then, since the September timeframe, we've opened it up to whoever wants to come into the office can, but uh, we're still, um, we're probably 30 to 40% um, of people come in on a regular basis, maybe even less than that, maybe, maybe closer to a third. Um, but it, uh, it's, um, it, we haven't seen a drop off in productivity at all. So um, yep. it's mostly our data science and software teams that are working from home. Yeah, well, actually, you know, I think I had the kernel of that question outside of COVID, which is, you know, how is it working at a company that is con that, that specializes in measuring and tracking your health? Uh, you know, yeah. so I mean, I, you're in yeah. shape. I know that. So is everybody yeah. in shape? Is it because you're obligated to, or is it sort no, of no, the opposite? Because your desire to like know and be fit sort of leads you to kind of this passion and and, and joining a place like this. Yeah. No. It. Um, uh, it's kind of a mixed bag of there's some people at the company who are in really good shape and others who not so much. And, you know, it's more of a personal preference, but I, I think everyone at the company shares a, a common passion for the kind of impact that the technology can have. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's whether that's a personal individual experience or, or something something else that, um, that drives that passion, but it, um, that's, that is a common thread of, of seeing how this technology is being applied in, in ways that really ultimately help people live longer, healthier lives, uh, is, um, something that, that I think is, is important to, to everybody at the company. Yeah. So no one, so do you have to run on the treadmill in order to get a job there? <laughs> no, you do not. Although okay. that has been, we, we've pushed the envelope a little bit on that because well, you've seen our office and the lab there. And um, we have shut that off to any outside participants. Mm -hmm. That was since, been shut off since March. Um, so uh, Valence L employees have been the guinea pigs since then. And so it, we have, We've gotten people into the lab that have not been there, valence cell people into the lab that have not been there before <laughs> mm. uh, as um, test subjects. And, um, and so it, uh, you know, we're still, we're just now starting to open that up even just a little bit um, specifically around some of the blood pressure testing that, that we're doing on an ongoing basis. And what about Steven? Does he fall in the in shape or out of shape category? <laughs> uh, he likes to think he actually works out three or four times a week. So okay. um, that uh, he's, as he will tell you, he's fighting his Cajun genes. And so okay, he's yeah. got a, that's, he's sort of the, he's got the red queen effect going on that even though he's, he's working out consistently, he's uh, at best just staying where he is. Yeah, but that's, um, that's uh, at least avoiding a, as uh, a, his family history and, uh, Cajun jeans. Yeah, I, I think I gain two pounds every time I go to New Orleans. So if I go there a couple <laughs> right. times a month, it's like, dang, man, it's four or five pounds, like totally yeah. each yeah. time. It's, it's hard not to do that in New Orleans. So that's great. But yeah, so I mean, all in all, it, it definitely is, you know, in, in a pursuit of making a dent in the universe and, and, you know, kind of the people that work there are 
attracted by the work that matters, which I think is important in all kind of cultures. And I mean, that's great as we move into this odd sort of hybrid, remote, fully remote, you know, remote capable yeah. workforce um, being tied into kind of a, a an underpinning of mission um, is more important than ever. But anyway, I think let's let's wrap up. And I appreciate your time and, and all the work that you guys are doing at Valencell. And yeah, I look forward to, you know, continuing the conversation and, and seeing you know, where, where this technology takes us and changing the world for the better. So thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me. It's always great to talk to you. Awesome. Cool.